Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, December 9th, 2018. The share ID numbers for Friday, December 7th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 12,273. That's 12273. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 12,275. That's 12275. 12275. This morning, a vision for you presents when faith replaces fear. The big book teaches on page 143 that to get over drinking, and of course in our case compulsive overeating, will require a transformation of thought and attitude. The 12 steps as outlined in the big book represent a process of spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery, a way of deep and lasting personal transformation. Old ideas Emotions and attitudes are cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate us. The actual solution to our problems of personal powerlessness, unmanageability, and that which we find threatening is finding and establishing a relationship with and faith in a power greater than ourselves. The results are disproportionate to our efforts. We are rocketed into a fourth dimension, beyond the physical, into a spiritual way of life. And a new faith, a new world, and a new vision comes into view. The steps continue to catalyze our inner growth, our new attitudes, and new spirit. Joining us today is Ruth H., a recovered compulsive overeater from Connecticut. Ruth is dedicated to our 12-step way of life, and she's here to share her experience, strength, and hope with all of us on the line. Good morning, Ruth. Good morning, Leah. Can I be heard okay? I hear you well. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you for that introduction, and thank you for all you do, you and Melanie, to put these meetings together. It's um, just, I know I speak for everyone when I say it's so appreciated. Um, So good morning. As Leah mentioned, I'm Ruth H., so gratefully recovered in Connecticut. And um, before I start, I want to start with just a little prayer. Um, Dear God, please help me set aside everything I think I should say and instead be a voice for your words and an example of your love and your truth. Please remove my fear and direct my attention to what you would have me be. Um, You know, the title probably gives away that when Leah invited me to do this, I was, of course, um, had quite a bit of fear about the presentation. Um, And it certainly, you know, I certainly went back and forth about what I would say and how would I organize this very disorganized mind. So I decided to go with the tried and true format of what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. You know, because I know they say if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So let me start with what it was like, my story. Um, A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Oh, no, 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 that's not my story. That's the Star Wars story. I think uh, my story would probably more be appropriately called the Food Wars. Um, And those began for me 58 years ago in a place not so far away 
inside of a little girl born in Cincinnati, Ohio in 1960. Um, that little girl had fears that grew as she did. Um, a girl who never learned how to deal with her emotions and felt so out of place and uncomfortable in her own skin. You know, as I thought back, I really only remember a time when I responded differently than other people do to food and sugar in particular. Um, I could never understand how others said that a dessert was too sweet or too rich or how they took a bite or two and then said they'd had enough. You know, they'd push it aside to get on with life while I was obsessing about getting their leftovers in addition to what I had. You know, it still amazes me that my husband will eat only the cake and leave the icing. I mean, to me, that was always the best part. You know, I, I certainly could tell you how we had dessert every night growing up um, or how my family didn't discuss emotions and instead showed their love through food. But, you know, I've really come to believe that what matters most is that I understand that I have a disease and because of it, I respond differently to some foods foods I've come to know as my alcoholic or trigger foods. When I eat these foods, I crave more and more of them, and I often eat until I've either run out of food or I'm too sick to eat anymore. Um, and then, even though I feel tremendous guilt and remorse after that binging, my disease plays a trick on my mind, and it convinces me that I can eat just one bite or one portion or that I'll have just one last binge, and the cycle begins again and again and again. Um, the big book calls this the twofold nature of our disease, the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, the double whammy, um, which, by the way, if you didn't listen to last week's special edition yet, it's really wonderful and it was so helpful to me. Um, so the way my disease manifested, you know, possibly it was because I was teased and bullied by classmates in school for being fat. Um, or maybe because my mom trying to help me took me for diet pills at an early age. I'll never really know for sure. Um, and while my memories of those earliest years are limited, you know, I'm, I'm wondering again if it's because I just didn't really want to remember what happened back then. I do want to just recall, you know, a few of those memories. Um, the first being that elephant was the nickname that I was given as a young child in my elementary school. But I think the cruelest trick they played on me later in elementary school, um, around that time when the boys were finally starting to like those girls that had been liking them for a while, you know, I remember I confided in one of the popular girls, a group I so desired to be in but never was, that I liked a certain boy, a handsome, popular boy, way out of my league. And um, they convinced me he liked me in return, um, for me only to find out that it was all a big joke um, so that they could watch, you know, and seem to take pleasure in seeing me get my hopes up. Um, but I should have known, you know, I'd be crushed by the reality that a fat girl never gets the guy. You know, I also remember an incident one Christmas where I was all dressed up in a pretty red dress with white lace trim and feeling almost good about myself until I heard a comment that an aunt of mine had made to my mom um, that a girl as heavy as me should not be wearing a dress that short. You know, that might have prompted that trip for the diet pills, um, but I know I never wore that dress again. Um, regardless of where or when it happened, I learned at a young age that people did not like me fat, and that translated into that I just was not lovable as I was. 
so my eating became my little secret, hidden away from all who knew me, and that began the fear of being found out, the fear of rejection, and the fear of being my true authentic self. Um, so when I was in eighth grade, my sister, my only sibling, was diagnosed with skin cancer. She passed away when I was 24. And um, while I know now that my comfort then could have come from God, when he didn't answer my pleas to cure her, I walked away from the faith I was raised in and turned to eating instead. Um, it was how I dealt with the stress and the sadness and the loss. You know, I know my parents loved my sister and I. I was really blessed to have loving parents. Um, and as her illness progressed, they began to tell us that regularly. But they were stoic through their own grief, and I know struggling themselves with the tremendous loss. You know, as I mentioned, emotions just weren't expressed or ever discussed in our home. You know, I really don't think they knew how to deal with them either. Um, after my sister died, I felt my life was so out of control, and I felt so awful for my parents to have lost the good daughter, the obedient, the smart daughter, and maybe most importantly, the thin one. So I began to even more tightly control what I could, which was my eating and my exercise. I'd binge on sugar, then I'd restrict, and I began to use laxatives and over-exercising to control my weight. I tried to make myself throw up, but I couldn't, no matter how hard I tried, or I'm sure that would be part of my story, too. You know, and I did all of this in secret, even though I knew how absurd it was. But I believed that I was only lovable if I was thin. thin. So at this time in my life, I was willing to go to any lengths to stay that way. Um, that phrase may sound familiar. Um, I also, during this time, became much more street savvy as to what else I thought it took to be loved. And for me, that was becoming who I thought you wanted me to be. I was a true chameleon, changing my personality to meet what I thought others' expectations were. So in addition to hiding to eat or to not eat compulsively, I was hiding behind personalities meant to please you rather than who I really was. You know, about a month after my sister died, I met the man who would become my husband. You know, I've always thought she sent him to me, you know, knowing my issues and having seen some past poor boyfriend choices. I'm sure she knew I couldn't be trusted to pick someone out for myself. Um, I kept my eating disorder hidden from him, too, for the first years that we dated. But after he asked me to marry him, I knew I had to fess up. You know, to say the least, he was surprised um, and scared, and he really could not relate because he's a normal eater. Um, he tried to be supportive but was attracted to the thin me and grew concerned as I started to gain weight. You know, I do have to add here, though, that he's come a long way. And sorry for the spoiler alert, but we somehow celebrated 30 years of marriage this past October. Um, but back then, I went through therapy one of the therapists actually suggested that I eat all and only sugar, and maybe that would remove the stigma of it that I'd given to it. Um, that was my dream come true therapy. She believed I'd get tired of the sugar if I allowed myself to have it, and that I would begin to eat it in moderation. You know, I'm sure you'll find it no surprise that I never did. Um, I read every self-help book out there, always sure the next one would cure me, you know, I did pay and weigh programs. I even tried OA for a short time. You know, I wish I remembered more about that OA experience, 
But what I do remember was that even though I got a sponsor, the emphasis was all on the food plan, the tools, and meetings. And my abstinence then was short-lived, um, just like every diet attempt I'd made. You know, even given all this, I am sure it took some kind of convincing job from God, but that man went ahead and married me, and of course, um, a marriage that began with that much dishonesty and secrecy has been tumultuous, to say the least. Um, within months, I got pregnant, and, um, and that gave me the best excuse to finally eat as I wanted, and I certainly gained more weight than I needed to. You know, but I've come to believe that being a mom was what I was put on this earth to do. You know, I also see now that my boys, I have two sons, became an obsession to me for me as well. You know, I became as compulsive about raising my sons as I was with the food. And, and just as I had used food as the solution to my problems, being the perfect mom gave me a similar effect. Um, we moved right after we got married and then several times more before we settled in Connecticut. You know, I teased my husband back then that he'd given me the old bait and switch in meeting and marrying me in Cincinnati, my hometown, and then getting transferred right away, never to return. But really, it was me that gave him the bait and switch in pretending to be naturally thin, socially comfortable, and having it all together. Um, but living in different places like that with people who didn't know me certainly gave me um, lots of opportunity to perfect this facade I developed, this persona of someone who had it all, the house, the successful husband, the family of four. You know, people would comment to my husband that I always had a smile on my face and seemed so happy. And he'd respond that if you had my life, you'd be happy too, you know. Little did anyone know what was really going on inside of me because I had become just too good at not letting them in. But still, I was getting enough of an effect from being a mom that while I still went to my binge restrict cycle, it wasn't dominating my life. Somehow my life was still barely manageable. Um, then about eight years ago, when I turned 50, um, menopause hit. My two sons had the nerve to grow up and leave the nest. Um, and my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. My father had passed several years before that. Um, my eating issues returned with a vengeance, and I again began the awful cycle of regular binging, restricting, over-exercising, and using laxatives to try to keep my weight down. Uh, sugar returned to be my primary comforter and entertainer. You know, and I certainly did all the things I've heard of in these rooms. I ate out of the trash. I snuck food to my closet or to the basement to eat. I lied about the food that was missing or I replaced it before anyone noticed. I lied about where I was going when I would go to get food. And then I'd eat it in my car and get rid of the evidence so that nobody knew. You know, I had my favorite hidden parking spots where I could go binge in private near all my favorite places to get those cellophane bags and bakery boxes. Um, one holiday I remember after binging on homemade desserts that others had brought, which of course I could not replace, I blamed my disabled nephew for having ruined them. Like, how sick is that? Um, I was the ultimate healthy eater in public to then binge on sugar in private. Every Monday I'd start again, but by the following weekend I'd be back into the sugar. And um, those days in between I'd spend restricting, over-exercising, obsessively weighing myself, 
and with this nonstop internal dialogue about the next binge. You know, I'd usually start by telling myself there would not be another binge. And then it'd become there couldn't be another binge. But eventually the conversation would always eventually go to the when and where and what um, of what was positively going to be the last binge, the last binge that never was. Um, you may recognize that routine. Um, then in September of 2015, my mom passed away and my eating really spiraled out of control through that Christmas and into the new year. Again, I went to diets, cleanses, detoxes, health coaches, and therapy. Um, I read sugar addiction self-help books, and I did an online sugar addict program. I even went away to a retreat to learn mindful eating for binge eaters, only to find myself binging in the airport on my return home. You know, I was so confused by all the conflicting information I was getting about whether sugar addiction was real or not. But I knew in my heart that I responded to sugar differently than others. I just wanted peace with food. Um, but the real push to get help came when no amount of restricting or exercising or using laxatives was keeping the weight off anymore. As that number on the scale crept up, so did my desperation. And while in total I'd only gained about 10 pounds, in my sick mind that was intolerable. And that, by the grace of God, led me to a private eating disorder treatment program on April 1st of 2016. April Fool's Day, no less, um, but certainly not the most foolish day of my life. You know, I went there, I went into New York City once a week and received private and group therapy. And I met with a nutritionist who gave me a food plan, eliminating sugar and flour, because they knew of the allergy of the body so many of us have towards those ingredients. Um, there also, it was suggested to me that I would need additional support, and by the grace of God, I was led to OA. Um, first, I went to online and other phone meetings because I was much too afraid of being seen or recognized. Um, then, eventually, I did go to a local face-to-face -face meeting, but I was so scared walking into it. Oh, my gosh. And finally, I found our amazing vision meetings where I first heard so many of you announce yourself as recovered, something I'd never heard before, and boy, did it give me hope. Uh, what happened since that time is the real story, as I learned about the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, and this program of action, which has changed my life so much and taught me how to recover and replace my fears with faith in a higher power, that God of my understanding, and who I do choose to call God, and that's how I'll continue referring to him um, through the rest of this presentation. You know, I wish I could say I was entirely abstinent since that April Fool's Day, but I relapsed along the way until I fully surrendered to this program at the end of November 2016. And now, by the grace of God, um, I'm abstinent just over two years. So in treatment, I worked the steps the first time with my therapist. Um, she was a 12-step person herself, and while I learned of abstinence from her, it was not entire abstinence as discussed in the doctor's opinion. You know, during this time, I learned a lot about myself and other techniques and skills to use when I had the urge to eat off plan. And while it certainly helped and my binges were less intense and fewer and farther between, they continued until I threw myself into the big book and worked the steps with my big book guide and entire abstinence. 
you know, as I've read in our book, the self-knowledge I gained in therapy, while it was helpful, it was not the solution. And I needed a power greater than myself or any human power to grant me a daily reprieve for my compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors. You know, I think I finally hit my bottom when this big city treatment program couldn't fix me. I was finally out of options. You know, I kind of liken that feeling of complete desperation and surrender to a scene in the movie, um, An Officer and a Gentleman. I don't know, anyone else out there a diehard romantic like me? You know, in that movie, after getting caught doing something illegal for which the consequences should have been him being thrown out of the military, Richard Gere's character breaks down and cries out to his commander with this intensity and emotion that he can't dismiss him, that he has nowhere else to go. It's such a passionate scene. I just love it. And that's exactly how I felt in that, that point in my life, that I had nowhere else to go. Um, you know, thinking back, I'm a little surprised that my last binge was not the binge to end all binges. I hadn't even gone to get my favorite foods. Those, those items I'd so many times before gone on a hunt for, no matter how long it took or how far I had to drive. You know, my bottom was different in that instead, it was this final acceptance that I tried everything that I could, but I kept going back to the food. So finally, and now I can say, gratefully, I'd reached the point of desperation where I was willing to go to any lengths um, not like before in terms of hiding my eating disorder, but now in terms of finding a solution. And that's when I put the food down and began working the steps as directed in the big book. So by now, you might be asking yourself, what the heck happened? Um, well, the steps happened, but this time in entire abstinence. You know, in many ways, taking step one was a relief for me. I knew I had the allergy of the body that when I ingested certain foods or food ingredients, I reacted differently than others. It was so obviously true for me, especially with sugar, even though I'd been told by several of the so-called experts that I'd worked with, a therapist, a health coach, that online program, that if I gave up sugar for a length of time, I'd be able to go back to it and eat it in moderation. Well, that might have worked for others. I'm guessing it did for some of their clients who were moderate or hard eaters just not for a true compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety like me. It helped me so much to read about the distinction between those types in the big book on pages 20 and 21. You know, as it says about the real alcoholic, I certainly lost all control of my food consumption once I started to eat my alcoholic foods. And by identifying in as the real compulsive overeater, even though I so desperately wanted it not to be true, I wanted to be able to have my cake and eat it too. But by finally fully understanding and accepting that I have an allergy, I accepted that it could only be arrested by entire abstinence, and I worked with my guide to tailor my food plan accordingly. Then we went on to discuss the obsession of the mind. Um, described in the big book as our bigger problem. And this also confirmed what I knew deep inside, that it was insane to think that each binge would be the last or that this time I could take just one bite, that this time it would be different. And I finally understood that even after putting my alcoholic foods down, my mental twist would get me back to them. You know, I, love, I loved and continue to love reading and identifying in with the stories in the chapter more about alcoholism. 
um, just like Jim, who mixed milk with his whiskey, thinking it was then safe to drink, I was instructed once by a health coach that if I ate sugar with enough protein or fat, I'd be able to do so in moderation. Well, that little experiment led me, also like Jim, right back to binging and more treatment. Then, by reading the story of the jaywalker, it really drilled home the insanity of this disease that kept taking me back to the food, even though the consequences got worse and worse. Um, and Fred made me realize that because of the mental blank spot, I could find myself eating again for no apparent reason at all, having made no fight whatsoever and not thinking at all of the consequences. This reinforced that self-knowledge was not the answer and that I had no effective mental defense against the first bite, that this defense must come from a power greater than myself. And even though my life wasn't unmanageable to the extent that some um, referred to in the big book who had lost jobs or spouses or homes, you know, I lived a life consumed by my disease, focused on what I'd eaten or had not eaten, when I was going to eat again, how I was going to sneak it without getting caught, and what it was going to take to keep that number on the scale from going up. I was living a life in constant fear, fear of getting caught in the food, fear of gaining weight, fear that I wasn't lovable unless I was thin, fear that I wasn't lovable unless I was who you wanted me to be, and fear that I wasn't lovable unless it seemed that my life was wonderfully put together, something I just couldn't pretend anymore in my desperate, beaten-down state. So I continued on to steps two and three, desperately wanting to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity and needing the willingness to turn my life and my will over to him. You know, I wrestled with the God I thought had turned his back on me when I prayed and prayed for my sister's life to be saved. Since I turned away from him then and to my eating disorder instead, I had so many questions. Could I go back to him now? And how? And did this power have to be the God of my rigid religious upbringing? Should it be? And how do I reconcile all this? Around this time, my father-in-law passed away. Um, he, like my own father, who had passed several years before, um, they were both deeply religious men. You know, at my father-in-law's funeral, my husband gave a eulogy, and he and the celebrant both spoke of the wonderful attributes of this man who I'd grown to deeply love and admire. Unbeknownst to each other, they suggested that the best way to honor this man would be to take on one of these attributes, and it tugged on my heart to give religion another shot as his faith was so paramount to who he was. So I went back to the faith I was raised in and began speaking with the new pastor at our church, a church that up to this point I was a regular attendant of, usually two, maybe three times per year. Um, is it odd or is it God that our new pastor was much more contemporary and approachable and understanding than the clergy I remembered from my childhood? He told me that I was God's perfect child, even in my sinfulness, that no sin was too great to keep me from him, that I was loved by God and worthy of his love. I gave a fifth step away to him as well as to my sponsor, and it was in those moments that my true, deep spiritual experience began. I had held on to deep, dark secrets and harms I'd done to others that I'd never told anyone before. The relief 
first in telling my sponsor and then my pastor, truly indescribable. It brings tears to my eyes when I think about it. You know, I'd expected my sponsor to be thoroughly appalled and disgusted with me. But instead, she said, me too. I've done things like that too. And I expected my pastor to laugh and throw me right out of his office. And I could not believe it when he said my sins were forgiven. You know, when he said those words to me, it was as if an enormous weight was lifted from my shoulders, one I didn't even know I was carrying. But initially, I'd still waver back to feeling unworthy of forgiveness and of God's love. So I kept going back to my pastor with the same question. How do you know that God forgives me? How do you know that he loves me? It took several conversations, and I think it was finally in a moment of his exasperation after being asked the same questions over and over that he finally blurted out, I know you are forgiven and loved because I know him. Four little words, because I know him. That's when I knew what I had to do. I had to get to know him, a God of my understanding who knows me completely but loves me anyway. This God that I learned about in the big book who could remove my mental obsession one day at a time if I thoroughly follow the big book path. You know, I really think it's at this point that I first truly felt and believed that a recovered life could happen for me. And I knew what I had to do to make it a reality. I had to follow those clear-cut directions in the big book as directed by my guide. Um, This is also when I began understanding how my life was so driven by fear, fear of rejection, fear of not being enough, fear of not being lovable or loved. And this is where I finally realized and began to know a God that did not want me to live in fear, that instead wanted me to live fearless. Not that I'd never have fear again, but that partnered with God, the fears would be less. And sorry, but I've got another spoiler alert. God certainly has never disappointed because when I turn to God, the fear does subside. So because as they say, fear and faith cannot coexist. So I keep a little sticky note on my computer to remind me just of that. It says, feed your faith and your fear will starve to death. Um, So in spite of my fears, I went on to humbly ask God to remove my shortcomings and I made my amends and I began to feel freer and freer as each one was completed. Um, And and I know, knowing that I would continue to make living amends each one day at a time, um, especially with those closest to me. You know, making amends to my husband has really changed our marriage. I rarely, I probably could count on less than one hand the number of times I had said I'm sorry to him before working the steps. You know, as I continue to make amends to him as needed, he sometimes gets this look on his face of, who is this woman and what did you do with my wife? But I know he's thinking, please don't bring that other woman back. Um, And I know how much it means to him and how much our marriage has improved because of it. You know, by making my amends, I felt the presence of God in my life in ways I never thought possible. I felt my personality changing. And just as the big book promises on pages 83 and 84, because of making my amends, I began to feel a new freedom and a new happiness. I stopped regretting the past, nor did I wish to shut the door on it. I began to comprehend the word serenity and no peace. 
I began to see how, ex- how my experience could benefit others. My feelings of uselessness and self-pity began to disappear. I started to lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in my fellows. My self-seeking began to slip away. My whole attitude and outlook upon life started to change. My many fears began to leave. I started to intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle me. And I realized that God is doing for me what I could not do for myself. So then I got to begin the beautiful life of living in steps 10, 11, and 12. You know, as much as I'd hoped that those character defects that were removed in step seven were gone forever, lo and behold, they came back. And um, I found out um, that you were all right when you'd said I'd never rise above the level of being human. But step 10 allows me to work through my difficulties by seeing my part in them, taking it to God, and asking him to remove my shortcomings. Then I share it with someone else, and I make amends if needed, and I move on to the next right thing of helping others. And when fear is a part of this, I remember it is because I am relying on my finite self instead of infinite God, and that that never works. So I pray for God to remove my fear and direct my attention instead to what he would have me be. You know, through my practice of step 11, I've grown closer and closer to God as I pray and meditate daily. Um, And I'm going to talk more about that just in a little bit. And then in my step 12 work, I felt such great joy and fulfillment as I work with others a joy and fulfillment that was so elusive for so long, reminding me of the words in the doctor's opinion that describes the effect I had gotten from my compulsive overeating. You know, now because of the steps and my spiritual awakening, I now get an effect from working with others and living a recovered life instead. So by now, you must be on the edge of your seat wanting to know what's it like for me now. Um, Well, in addition to those beautiful nine-step promises, now is also promised on pages 84 and 85, I have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even food. Sanity has mostly returned. I am seldom interested in compulsive overeating. If tempted, I recoil from it as a hot flame. I react mostly sanely and normally, and I find that this has happened automatically. I see that my new attitude towards food has been given without any thought or effort on my part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. I am not fighting it, neither am I avoiding temptation. I feel as though I have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. I have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for me. I am neither cocky nor afraid. And even though not every day is as picture perfect as these promises, I now have that peace with food I felt would never happen for me. That is, so long as I keep in fit spiritual condition. So how does, do I keep in fit spiritual condition? Um, what does a day in the life of this recovered fellow look like? Well, I'm a pretty simple person, and as gifted as I am at complicated, complicating things, I've learned along the way that keeping things simple really works best for this simple mind. So I've done a lot of mimicking what I've heard works for others. 
don't be surprised if much of this sounds familiar. I may have even taken it from you. Um, you know, I'm so glad that plagiarism is not just acceptable in OA. It's encouraged. So I begin my get day before my feet even hit the floor in the morning. I start with a simple prayer. Um, Good morning, God. This day is for you. Please bless each thing that I think, say, and do. I then spend more time in prayer and meditation, and this includes writing a gratitude list, thanking God for the ways he's blessed me. I really um, think giving gratitude is a beautiful way to pray. Um, I read from recovery and spiritual daily readers, meditating on what I've read, and I journal on at least one of these readings. Some of those other sticky notes on my computer are are part of that. Um, I write an action plan for that day. I go off to exercise, and I feel so fortunate that I've recovered there as well, as now I'm able to just enjoy exercising in only the ways and amounts needed to keep this aging body healthy. Um, That is not a punishment for binging anymore or the way I get rid of the the too many calories I've eaten. Um, Then when I get home, I phone into our vision meeting most mornings, and I attend a face-to-face meeting each week. I try to do service in both of those when I can. Um, Throughout the day, although this is where life can get in the way, um, I go to God giving thanks for what I like to call the lowercase m miracles in my life. Um, A beautiful sunrise, you know, making that green light when I'm in a hurry, missing that deer that decided to run into the road. You know, I try to always remember the Albert Einstein quote, that there are only two ways to live your life, as though nothing is, is a miracle or as though everything is. You know, it reminds me of the phrase in our big book that either God is everything or else he is nothing. On both counts, I'm team everything. Um, Throughout my day, in times of indecision, I look to God for guidance and often I'll pray, thy will, not mine, be done. And in times of difficulty, I'll do a 10-step and I'll pray, God, I'm yours and I trust you. You know, when I'm feeling angry or resentful, I often pray, Bless him, change me. And when fear rears its ugly head, I ask God to remove it and direct me to whom he would have me be. It helps me too, in the grips of fear, to do a deep breathing exercise where I breathe in faith and breathe out fear. Then throughout my day, I sponsor, I am sponsored, and I reach out to newcomers and others in recovery. Um, I listen to spiritual music, which I just love throughout my day. I have my car radio now programmed to it, um, so especially when I'm um, in the car and out and about. You know, I was, as I was thinking about it, music has always brought me comfort. You know, I remember when I was young, you know, before I knew it wasn't cool to do, I'd go out on our swing set and I'd swing and sing my little heart out. Um, But then when being cool was more important, I went to a rocking chair in my bedroom and listening to soft music. Um, And now listening to spiritual music really helps me stay connected to God. In the evening, although not too late as I'm a very early riser, and if I wait too long, I can have trouble putting together a coherent thought or two. Um, But with God's guidance, I do a nightly review looking at both what went well that day and what I could do differently in the future. And I end my day as I started it in prayer. 
um, you know, when I first got to steps 10, 11, and 12, this seemed like a lot, but I've come to realize that I have more time now than ever because I'm not spending time obsessing about food or binging or recovering from a sugar hangover, that it's because of these daily practices that I have plenty of time to live a God-led, recovered, big, beautiful life. Um, so I want to tell you just a few things about my big, beautiful life in hopes that if you're not there yet, you know it's possible for you too. You know, now granted, I'm old and retired, so I'm at a point in my life when I can do things I really want to do rather than all those things when I was younger that I had to do. Um, one of my favorite is that I have time now to volunteer and help others using the gifts God has given me. So since my sons are not cooperating by giving me the grandchildren I so desperately want, I volunteer as a baby cuddler at my local hospital and, um, and in the nursery at my Bible study. You know, I've seen the biggest changes in my relationships, especially my family. You know, as I mentioned, in October, my husband and I celebrated 30 years of marriage, um, a marriage that began with my secrecy, my dishonesty, and in so much fear, a marriage in which we struggled through many years seeking professional help with threats of separating, periods of hardly speaking and acting more like roommates than husband and wife. You know, I have grown to love this man in ways I couldn't when I was wretched with fear or cowering in deceit and in the throes of my disease. And so different to who he had been and what he had done throughout much of our marriage, on our recent 30th wedding anniversary, he gave me the most special gift of all. He gave me a handwritten list of 30 things he loved about me. Sorry. Now, granted, he was really scraping the bottom of the barrel to get to that number, but it's a list I never thought I'd receive and will never stop cherishing. Um, and as for my sons, my two beautiful boys, um, they're now 26 and 29. The changes there, too, are in how they're letting me more and more into their adult lives and how I'm learning to love them without being codependent on them. My oldest got engaged in September, and he asked my husband and I to be with him when he asked his fiance's um, father for her hand in marriage and to pick out the engagement ring. He wanted my opinion as he planned the proposal and for us to be there to celebrate when she said yes. You know, just, I would have never expected to get to be a, such a significant part in that phase of his life. And my younger son, um, he works and lives in South Carolina, invited us to come for Christmas to meet his girlfriend's parents. And um, he convinced me to stay much longer than I'd ever expect he'd want me to for. Um, and that devastating loss of my sister, of a, of a love and a bond that could never be replaced. Well, that man that God put in my life to marry, um, he came with three sisters and two brothers. And that family has truly taken me in as one of their own. You know, as I like to say, I won the sister-in-law lottery and now have the best bonus sisters that a girl could ever ask for. And I haven't even touched on the beautiful friendships I've made here in OA. You know, my family here who understands me in ways the normies in my life never will. I am so grateful and blessed with a kind, loving sponsor and the most amazing sponsees that I learned so much from, who give me so much more than I could ever give in return, and who I just love and love to speak with. You know, it seems so selfish that by working with them, something I truly love to do, they are keeping me recovered. 
But as the big book says, nothing ensures immunity from compulsive overeating as working with another. And on top of all that, I found so many fellows here and in my face-to-face meeting that so inspire me and willingly and openly share the recovery and allow me to trudge this road with them. Now, I certainly don't want to mislead you that my life is all sunshine and roses. You may have noticed I did not mention my mother-in-law and all of that, the above. Um, And that family that my husband came with also included two brothers, one whom tragically took his own life earlier this year. And both his and my other brother-in-law's families had a lot of issues that often seem to find their way to us. But the difference is that I have a roadmap for living now and a God to go to who guides me and walks me through it all. Uh, There's a poem called um, Footprints in the Sand that brought my mom comfort when my sister passed and comforts me too when life gets tough. The author speaks of having a dream, walking with God along a beach over the course of his lifetime and looking back at the footprints in the sand, but noticing at times, instead of there being two sets of footprints, there were only one, and that these were the saddest, most difficult times. This troubles him, so he asked God why he would leave him when he needed him the most. God replied that he never, ever left him, that during those most difficult times, there was only one set of footprints because that was when God carried him. Now recovered, I know that God carries me too. You know, I hope I've painted a clear picture of how the 12 steps and the big book have helped me learn to replace my fear with faith. And in a leap of faith, I want to end with what God has recently placed on my heart. Um, What, as we've just been been reading about on page 164, he has disclosed more of to me. It's something I've been thinking about for a while, But after being invited to do this call, it came strongly to me through a spiritual song out now called Known. It's a song I've really come to love, and I recently heard the the singer speak about writing the lyrics, which focus on being fully known and loved, the way God loves us. He said that to be loved but not fully known, while comforting, is superficial You know, that's the love I felt in so many of my relationships before my recovery because I was too afraid to truly let people in, to truly know me. And then he went on to say that to be fully known but not loved is our greatest fear. And I know it certainly was mine. And that fear of rejection was what kept me locked into people-pleasing and pretending to be who I thought you wanted me to be. But to be fully known and loved as God loves us is the greatest gift we can give ourselves and others. That's where my recovered life is taking me. It's allowing God to remove my fear so that I can be my true, authentic self with others. And it's that love, when returned, that is bringing me the deepest joy and peace and contentment. So, because I want to be fully known by all of you, I want to share that Ruth is not my given name. It's a nickname from a time in my life that's long past, and I no longer want to hide behind it. I instead want to be fully known, and that includes asking you all to know me as Sandy W. I'm sorry, this may be confusing for a time. I do have a way of confusing many issues. I meant it when I said I have a knack for making things more complicated than they have to be. Um, 
but God has shown me that to be fully known by my given name here, I can better do his work and carry his message, and that maybe, just maybe, disclosing it here could help another who is hiding in some way behind their own fear. So even though I began my OA life filled with so much fear that I needed to hide behind a name that I no longer used anywhere else, I want to end this presentation asking you to know me with my given name of Sandy W. Now that OA and the 12 steps has helped me replace my fear with faith. Um, now again, I know this may be confusing at first, so I thought about what I could do to help you remember. First I came up with, I could do as the musician Prince did when he changed his name. I think he called himself the musical artist formerly known as Prince. So I could be Sandy W., the compulsive overeater formerly known as Ruth H. Or I could go back to that little ditty from my youth. You may remember it. You can call me Ruth or you can call me Sandy, but just don't call me late for dinner. Remember that one? <laughs> and last but not least, I could pull out one last movie reference to the movie Grease. But instead of, and I'm sorry, my singing voice is, is limited, instead of look at me, I'm Sandra D, it would have to be Sandy W. But really, all kidding aside, although I'm so glad we're not a glum lot, um, what God has most recently disclosed to me is that when I let my faith in him replace my fear, Ruth becomes Sandy, and a life built on secrecy, dishonesty, awkwardness, people-pleasing, and so much fear is replaced with the happy, joyous, and free life that comes from recovery and being open, honest, authentic, and fully known. And with that, Leah, I will pass. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much, Sandy W., for giving so much of yourself this morning. Thank you for sharing your remarkable and inspiring spiritual journey with all of us. Truly a transformation. Thank you so much. Today's share ID, 12,278. That's 12278. Sandy's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of this recording, so you'll want to stay tuned for that. We're going to now transition to a question and answer segment. You can pose a question to Sandy W. by pressing star 1 to unmute, and please offer your first name, and first letter of your last name as well. Suji. Suji. Roz G. Roz G. Miriam Rifka. Sandy. I heard you. Sandy S. Sandy S. Anyone else in this group? Cindy R. Cindy R. Yes. Kim L. Kim L. Okay, that's a good group. Request that everybody please mute, except for Sue G. Go ahead, Sue. Hi, Sandy. Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate it, uh, your comments. Um, since you keep your your program simple, I'm just wondering, how do you do your 10th step? Do you do the turnaround? Do you just do it the way the big book says? Discuss, do you just discuss it? With someone else, and then go and then go help someone else. Um, 
There's so many people that do things so many different ways that it confuses me and makes it more difficult for me to be brave enough to call somebody. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Sue. Um, thanks so much for that question. Um, you know, I do try to keep it simple, and I've got it. I've got ten step, um, a couple of different versions of ten step formats that I'll write out at times, and I also use the app on my phone that OA. I think it's called OA Toolkit app that has a spot check inventory piece to it. Um, so, but I basically follow the format in the, in the big book, which all of those are derived from, and then do just as you said, you know, I phone another um, to talk through it, and then I get out of myself and go help another. Um, um, so yeah, I really do try to keep it as simple as I can because I know that's what works best for me, and that makes it easier for me to do it. And I'm right there with you in terms of, of um, having to get over that fear of that I'm Ruth, we lost you there. Star one to unmute, perhaps. Oh, I'm sorry, Leah. Did you get any of that? Was yes, I was muted yes. the whole time? No, you were okay. muted the whole time. Go back. Okay. Sentences or so. Oh, okay, great. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, I'm not sure what happened there, but um, um, so I think what I was saying is that um, it helps me so much when people call me with their 10 steps that that always gives me the courage to call others with, with mine because I'm hopeful that it can be helpful to them as well. Um, so thank you, Sue. Thanks again for that question. That was Sue G. Thank you. Roz G., your turn. Did you call for Roz G? I did. Good morning. Okay. <clears throat> thank you. I was unmuting. Sandy, thank you. My question is, I missed what you said about your sticky note on the refrigerator. What was that that you have? Oh, oh, oh thanks, Roz. Thanks so much for that question. I've got, actually got several of them, and I keep them on my computer screen because um, luckily these days I'm spending more time there than <laughs> at my refrigerator. But the one I think that I mentioned was um, feed your faith and your fear will starve to death. That is one of my favorites, favorite reminders that when fear arises, um, to instead just take it to God and have faith in him. Feed your faith Thank and you. your fears will starve to death. Will starve to death, yes, exactly. Okay, great. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you, Roz. Thank you. Miriam Rifka. Hi, thanks so much. Thank you, Sandy, for your talk really so inspiring and touching to me. Um, my question is that in, in my experience working this program, my faith has taken me only so far up until now. And what I mean by that is that there are certain instances of fear that crop up for me. Um, and when they crop up, I find that I, I, I cannot... I, I simply can't sit, sit in that fear, and I don't feel taken care of by my higher power in those moments. And I know that that's not – in other words, I know there's something wrong with my program. I know it's not a deficiency in the program. I'm wondering mm -hmm. if you've ever encountered anything, because, you, you know, you, you mentioned several very difficult circumstances that you've encountered. 
have you ever encountered something that just really rocks your faith and, 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 and having difficulty getting rid of the fear and, and how you approach that? Um, yes, yes. Thank you. Thanks so much for that question. I'm just trying to think back at the most recent occurrences when that's happened. And, um, you know, I think it, what's helped me the most is by really just boosting my other spiritual practices. Um, some of them um, part of program and some of them that I'm doing outside of program that I'd be certainly happy to talk to you about. But um, related to program, you know, doing more of my daily reading and journaling on what I'm reading there, uh, especially any readings that I do that are spiritually based and spending more time in prayer and meditation and, um, and, and um, going to, to my fellows, you know, especially those that have, that have been through similar difficulties because sometimes, um, you know, I'm, I don't hear God as clearly through my own channels as I do through others. So I know the fellowship helps me a lot there too. Um, let me think if there's anything else I can think of. Um, I'd love to talk to you more, you know, one-on-one about that because that's all that's coming to me right now. But um, I certainly will. In fact, I'd love to leave my number now because I would like it to be on the recording. I think that's okay, Leah. Um, and, um, and my phone number is 203-243-7415, and that's Eastern, um, Eastern Time. So I'd love to talk to you more about it because maybe more will, hopefully God will just disclose more to me um, before we have that conversation. But thank you so much for that question. Thank you, Miriam Riska. Sandy S. Star one, no, I'm mute. Hi, Sandy. Uh, this is Sandy. Hi, can Sandy uh, leave her number again? Sorry. We will leave that. No, we will reiterate the number shortly. Thank you. Go ahead, Sandy S., please. Hi. Hi, Sandy S., recovered from uh, Asheville, North Carolina. Really appreciated your share. And the question is, what fear, I don't know if you have a current one or one from the recent past, that was kind of like really deeply rooted you can give a very specific example that you feel has either been gradually lifted or entirely lifted. And uh, I just really appreciate concrete examples because I have my own concrete fears in mind Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. just don't seem to be budging, you know, and I know what would give me hope is 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 if I could see in someone else some really deeply rooted fear budging, yeah, and with that I pick. Um, yes, thank you, Sandy, and I'm I'm sorry that I I um, borrow I'm borrowing your name too, but um, hopefully I know we can coexist. Um, the first one that comes to mind is, um, and I didn't talk about this at all in my in my share. Both of my sons have epilepsy. And um, gratefully, both of them are well controlled by their medication. But I lived in so much fear that something was going to happen to them, that they were going to have a seizure and I wasn't going to be there or, that, or worse. And um, to the point where 
you know, I was so smothering them and um, I guess what's the term? I was helicopter momming them to, to the extreme. And that's something that I've really had to, to work on with God, just pretty much with um, similar to um, just their futures in general, you know, that, that my children, like, as I mentioned, I became a form of a God to me. So, um, um, I had to begin to trust God, you know, and I pray that prayer that I mentioned um, earlier, God, I'm yours and I trust you. I would just pray that over and over and over um, until some of these fears, you know, um, subsided. And, you know, you know, when it comes to my boys and their illnesses, you know, I feel like I've been so blessed because they both have my one son is engaged to a doctor, a, a, a woman that's studying to be a doctor of all things. I'm like, could God have answered that prayer any more beautifully? Um, not that she, you know, not that something still couldn't happen, but it just gives me such, um, just makes it so much easier knowing that, that he's got someone with medical experience, you know, that he's going to be spending the rest of his life with. Um, and he's, of my two boys, he's the one um, that more frequently um, forgot medication or for whatever reason wasn't doing what he needed to do to take care of himself and had some seizures that weren't necessary because of just his self-care. Um, um, and, you know, my younger son moving away, you know, that brought me a lot of, of fear too. But he's now got a girlfriend down there that I know would, would um, keep an eye on him as well. So God has certainly um, answered some of my prayers in that way. But I know that... Um, by continuing to pray that prayer, God, I'm yours and, I'm tr- and I trust you, sometimes over and over and over as tough things were happening, that has really helped me with, with my deepest of fears. That and moving on then to the next right thing. Um, and, you know, and as I've mentioned before, just cont- really upping my spiritual work, um, both in terms of, you know, my daily prayer and meditation, um, some things that I do for my specific faith, and places that I go, you know, and just, um, what's the word that I want to use? Associating myself, you know, keeping people around me uh, of like mind, like our fellowship or like those in my faith group. That has really helped me too. So I hope, does that answer your question, Sandy? Sandy, yes, you'll need to press star one to unmute if you'd like to respond. Yes. Uh, okay. Answered it very well, extremely okay. well. Thank Great. you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Sandy, for the question. Cindy R., your turn. Uh, hi, everyone. Um, I like Sandy. Thank you very much for your share. Um, I'm calling from Jerusalem, Israel, and my question is actually a pretty basic one. Um, I am feeling very, very much the gift of desperation with my absence. So um, I wanted to ask you how you how how it was for you um, hearing that you are absent since 2016, and now you know it's two years later. I've been two and a half years in program, and I've been relapsing um, over and over, and I. I pray to have the willingness to be willing to <laughs> be willing to surrender, and um, I just you know I wanted to hear what you have to say about um, 
getting the miracle. I know that it's not something I just do. Of course, I do the actions. I go to programs. I listen to meetings. I have a lot of fellows around me, and I've been doing whatever I can, uh, really with love, with love and appreciation for the program. Um, but still, there's something there that's stuck by me uh, that I can't get through. Um, uh, I'm not getting the total absence. And I understand that without that, I can't move on to um, studying the steps properly, being in spiritual, um, fit spiritual condition, and so on and so forth. So I feel kind of trapped. Um, happy to be in the program in any case. Cindy. And I just was wondering what you have to say. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> okay, the question is how to get that surrender, how to get that total abstinence. Okay, I think I got that. That's the question. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. I think I get it, Cindy. Um, I I, I can be heard, right? (laughs) Yes. I hear you. Yes, okay, great. Thank you. No, I was going to say, I know for me, it really took getting to that point of desperation. And I had to feel like I had tried everything in my power on my own um, to be willing to go to any lengths and put the food down basically. And during that time period, you know, I worked with my sponsor to figure out what my trigger foods were, come up with a food plan that eliminated um, all of my alcoholic foods and food behaviors. And during that time, which is so hard and painful, you know, I just busied myself with other things. I used to joke that I never used to be that neat and orderly of a housekeeper, but that was something that I did. I just started organizing closets. I'd do anything to distract myself to, so that I had my meal plan. I would commit it at the beginning. I committed it each day, and that was it for the day. And I filled in all be, in between with whatever it took to distract me, taking my dog for a walk, you know, organizing a closet. Closet, you know, listening to music. If there was something that mm-hmm. um, that uh, that you know I find enjoyable, watching you know a silly romantic comedy movie or mm-hmm. reading a book. But I really just kept tr- um, mm-hmm. trying to keep myself busy during those times. Reaching out to others is 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 a great thing to do, although it's it's hard to do. And I I wish there was. Um, an easy answer to how you get, you know, how you get that entire, you know, two days of entire abstinence so you can get started into the steps. Um, But it's really just white knuckling through until you can get into the steps and work them like you hear, hear on these lines said all the time, like your hair's on fire, working them quickly but thoroughly so that you can reap all the beautiful benefits of that psychic change. So, um, um, you know, like I said, for me to be willing to do that, I had to really be desperate. I had, it had to be obvious to me that I wasn't able to fix this on my own and that there was no one else out there that was able to fix it for me, that I needed to be able to go to God, and then I knew what I had to do, and that was put down the food as painful as that one. Sometimes I went to bed at 6 in the evening, you know what I mean? It was like if the food was calling to me, to me at night, I'd just go up and go to bed, lock myself in my room so I couldn't get to the refrigerator. Um, um, so I hope that, that that's helpful, Cindy, and um, we're all here pulling for you and, and here to take your calls if we can be of help. Thank you so much, Cindy R., for the question. Kim L., star one to unmute, please. Kim. 
Kim L. Your turn. Hello? Yes. Hello, this is Kim L. I'm sorry. Um, Can you hear me? Yes. Go ahead with your question, Kim. Okay. Thank you for your share, Sandy. Um, Gosh, your story really resonated with me. Um, You talked about, I thought this was kind of funny, how um, you talked about how your your boys had the nerve to grow up and move on. And um, I'm kind of going through the same phase with my boys. I'm going through the empty nest. And um, you talked about your fears and your codependency with them. And um, I'm working on accepting this new phase of our lives. And I've been um, working really hard on turning them over to my higher power, to their higher power, working on letting go. Um, But um, the question is, well, I'm having a really difficult time embracing this. And I was wondering um, from your story, I, I think that you were into your disease when you were going through this phase. But if you could go back and go through this period um, while you're in program, what would you do differently? And how do you think God would have you be in this type of situation? That's my question. I feel stuck. Okay. Thank you, Kim. Thanks. Thanks so much for that question. Yes, I was still in my disease when they actually left the nest. But I'll, I'll know. I know as I went through and um, and have recovered. You know, God continues to want me to be um, to use the gifts He's given me. And I've, you know, as I said, it took a while to find other activities and ways that to spend my time that would be helpful to others and using those gifts. Like, um, and as I mentioned, now I volunteer and I get so much joy out of that. And I'm giving, you know, and I'm helping others at the same time. It's really kind of a neat place to be in. Um, but it took a while to get there. You know, I, I used to play a lot of tennis, and I and I don't anymore. But my first thought was I was going to volunteer as a um, tennis coach for the high school team because I thought, well, that would be fun. And I did that for a while. But and I'm, I hope I was helpful, but it just didn't feel fulfilling. Like it, it's almost as if God was saying, no, you'd be better somewhere else, and kind of led me to these other volunteer opportunities. And um, like I said, I'm at a stage in my life where I have the time that I can do that, but it was, has certainly helped me kind of fill the void that um, the day-to-day mothering um, um, took in me, you know, prior to that. And um, I think, too, just through program, I've learned um, – I'm learning, I should say. I'm learning to be more present just in the moment, to appreciate each moment as it is. You know, I was um, I was saying to my husband the other day, we're going down to see my son in South Carolina for Christmas, as I mentioned. And um, last year um, was it was just the four of us, my husband and I and our two boys here in the home. And now this year we'll celebrate with my other son and his fiance the weekend before, and then my son in South Carolina with he and his girlfriend and her family the week of Christmas. And, um, you know, so last year was probably the last Christmas that it will just have been the four of us. And while I'm not sure I would have changed anything, you know, it just reminded me I never really thought that this could be the last time, you know, that it's just the four of us. And it was just such a good reminder to me that, 
you know, that I want to live every moment like that, knowing that, you know, this could be the last time that it's just the five of us or whatever, whatever it is, that how important it is to just be present in each moment and appreciate it. And, um, you know, the one prayer I didn't mention as I was speaking, which has been so helpful to me as well, is the serenity prayer, you know, accepting the things I cannot change and changing the things that I can. So I know for me that meant exploring other ways I could find joy and fulfillment again um, now that my boys were raised and no longer in the home. Um, But I will say to you, you know, I went through a rough period when they left. You know, I was really sad and depressed and um, my over-exercising was out of control because that's what I, that's what I really did to fill up that time. And, um, uh, but now as I see it, there's so many other things, other gifts that God has given me that I can use um, that I can use instead. And so that's what I think I would, um, if, if I could do it differently, I think that's what I would, uh, I would do is I would try to explore those other God-given gifts and, and how he wants me to use those. So I hope that's helpful, Kim. Good luck. And if you want to talk more, you know, one-on-one, please, please feel free to give me a call. Thank you, Kim L., for the question. Who else has a question this morning for Sandy W.? You can pose your question by pressing star 1 to unmute. Marie M. Laura W. Laura W. Marie M. Yes, Marie M. Thank you. Virginia G. Virginia G. Mindy R. Mindy R. This will be our final invitation for questions. Donisa R. I didn't catch your first name. Donisa. Donisa, thank you. Margaret D. Margaret D. Anyone else? Okay, that's a good group. Marie M. Everybody, sorry. Okay, you got in there, Janelle. Okay, excellent. Everybody, please mute except for Marie M. This is Marie M. from Wisconsin. I, my faith is growing, but my faith feels like it's in my head instead of in my heart. How do you have any suggestions on how to get? my faith from my head to my heart. Um, One question, Marie, where are you in the steps? I have been through the 12 steps. Right now I'm working on um, step seven. Okay. Okay. So you've been through them and then you went back. Are you entirely abstinent? Did you work them? Do you feel like you've had a spiritual awakening? Uh, I've had a couple instances where I feel that, in fact, um, this week um, we had gone out to eat and I brought leftovers home and I sat down to eat it at lunch the next day and I looked at it and I thought, this is too much. And, and I heard, you can eat half of it. So to me, that felt like a spiritual awakening. You know, uh, well, I, I guess I can just not, say that. 
I don't be, believe I truly have the spiritual awakening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I guess I would just say for me, I had to be, you know, I worked the steps the first time with my therapist, but I was not entirely abstinent, and I did not feel like I truly had a spiritual awakening, I had the, that I had the personality change, that I felt the faith in my heart, not just in my head. But when I went back and worked the steps in entire abstinence, it was the process of working the steps that um, transferred it from just head knowledge to really feeling it in my heart. And I would say it started in steps four and five. You know, I, as I mentioned, you know, I had had so many secrets and sins and harms that I never told anyone about. And when I finally um, shared that with another, you know, I felt, a, you know, a, a much deeper connection to a God, to God. And then in making my amends, I think that um, is what um, brought that process even farther, that, 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 that all that shame and guilt that was inside of me that was blocking me from God was being removed. And I was able to really feel his presence. And, you know, I won't say that every day I feel, you know, I, I feel um, totally tethered to God, but, um, but, I, but I always know that he's with me. I just always have this feeling now that he's with me and he's my kind of go-to person. You know, sometimes I will beat myself up because the whole day will go by and I'll hardly have acknowledged God, but I know he's, he's always there waiting for me and he understands that our lives get busy and that there's going to be some days when I don't go to him as, as frequently as I'd like to. And, um, and I know Marie, he's there for you too. You know, I used to think um, that I had to go find God, that he was out there somewhere and I just wasn't looking in the right places. But, you know, what I believe now is he's right here inside of me. I was just blocked from him because of my eating issues, because of um, just how I live my life, because of all my fear and my anger and, um, um, and my character defects. So um, if you're... Um, if you're not sure if you've done the steps um, while you've been entirely abstinent, I might start there, but, um, um, but no, God is out there for you. And, um, um, and again, I'm certainly happy to talk one-on-one with you more or, or it's something you could talk to your sponsor about more as well. Um, so thank you. I hope that helps. Thank you very much. Laura W., your turn. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you, Sandy, so much for your presentation. I really got a lot out of it. Uh, I'm a recovered compulsive eater, anorexic and exercise bulimic in South Jersey, and I identified so much with um, everything you shared. My question is, um, on a daily basis, Sandy, what do you do to help the compulsive overeater who's still suffering, specifically a sponsee who keeps picking up? That's my question. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Laura. Thanks for that question. That's um, that's a good one, and it's so hard to watch because I have worked with sponsees who have continued to go back into the food. And, you know, um, my approach has been to just try to be kind and loving and encouraging to, to them while um, re-explaining to them, if, if that's what it takes, that that means we – 
they may not have completely taken step one. They may not have fully admitted their powerlessness and the unmanageability of their life. And so we go back to step one. Um, we'll review their food just to make sure there's not something in it that's still triggering the allergy of the body. And once we feel good about what they're eating, and um, then we'll get right back into the steps once they've got two days of entire abstinence again. Um, and if they can't get those two days, I try to continue to, you know, um, at least stay in touch periodically with encouragement and, um, um, and letting them know that they are still God's child and that God is there waiting for them, wanting them, them um, to come close to him so that he can recover, recover them and um, just waiting for their full surrender. And, you know, sometimes we'll just talk more about We'll also talk more about, um, you know, like as I said for me, what it took in terms of I really had to get to that point of my personal bottom, my personal point of desperation, and um, um, and that they may just not be there yet, you know, that they may still have some research, as I've heard it said, to do or some experimenting. Um, um, so I hope that's helpful. Yes, thank you. Very helpful. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks, Laura W. Virginia G. Your turn. Star one to unmute Virginia G. Can I be heard? Yes. Hi. Uh this is Virginia G, a recovered overeater from Texas. Um there was so many things, Sandy. Um in your talk that resonated with me uh, and uh, starting with the, your ending of, of, of uh, the names, I had a name change, but uh, <clears throat> both of your names resonate with meaning to me. Um, I really liked what you talked about the known being known. Uh, I've hidden all of my life. Uh, the more I, I go into recovery, um, uh, the more I realize how much I have hidden in the food, uh, you know, just isolated. Um, so my first question is, you know, what experiences uh, coming out uh, and being known, uh, you know, have you had? And then I'm also, um, you know, uh, trying to do more 12-step work and uh, risk getting on that phone, uh, and, and that goes with the known part. So I guess that's my question. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Virginia. Thanks for that question. You know, just in this last week, um, because I was Ruth in my face-to-face -face meeting with all my sponsor, with my sponsees and with all the fellows I, I communicate with, whoever I've been speaking to this last week, I've been telling them. And um, it has been such a beautiful feeling, you know, again, where I didn't even realize that um, by hiding behind that other name made that much of a difference, but it has felt so freeing and so encouraging. And, um, um, but for those of us that have had a lot of fear about who we are, um, it's certainly been, a, you know, it's certainly been a process. It's just, 
Um, but I know each time I take that step of faith towards being more known, being more open and honest with my husband, with my, you know, through the amends process with my sons, you know, my oldest son may suffer from our disease as well. We certainly, it certainly prompted a a great conversation with him um, when I told him, made my amends to him and explained a little bit about, uh, about my disease, you know, because he seemed to, um, um, he indicated that he struggles in that way too. And all I've been able to do up to this point is say, well, I'm here for you if I can help in any way and we'll see where that goes. But that certainly has brought our relationship to a different level. And, and I've seen that with my friendships too outside of OA, you know, um, I will say that I have had a lot of those superficial um, friendships that really weren't that healthy for me. You know, I was so desperate to be loved, I kind of would, would latch on to anyone that would have me. And um, what recovery has showed me as well is that um, it's okay to kind of distance from those unhealthy relationships. And now I have, you know, a handful of really close friends that I feel comfortable with being who I truly am. And um, one in particular that um, stands out who was just one of those people that, like, couldn't help herself from being just so, um, you know, like, no filter. She just always said it like it was. And initially I was so shocked because I didn't know anybody else like that. But it's really been so refreshing to me, um, you know, to find some friendships where, um, I can just be my open, honest, authentic self. And I, and I ha- get that in return. You know, that's just been so much more, brought, so, brought me so much more happiness in my life than having a lot of superficial um, friendships. And, um, but it is scary at first. And again, I will just say in terms of um, um, sponsoring or working with others, you know, I know how much I love getting phone calls. So I just always remind myself of that when I reach out to others. And if I have days, you know, I just try to make sure I at least talk to one person each day. I try to get up to, get up to two or three, but um, um, because it really is just helpful to my program to, to, um, to speak with another fellow, you know, at least once a day. So um, I hope that's helpful, Virginia. Thank you. Thank you, Virginia G. Mindy R., your turn. Star Wars. Hi, Mindy. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Um, good morning, everybody. Um, Mindy R. I am from Pennsylvania. I am. I live in Pennsylvania, but I am currently in Florida, and um, I am abstinent today. Great, grateful. I guess so much. But anyways, thank you for your share so much. Um, your presentation was just—it was so relaxing. It put me like in, in uh, into sleep, and then I I woke up and I heard exactly what I was supposed to hear. But um, first of all, I wanted to say um, I am very sorry for your loss, and I am your mother. So I would like to talk to you offline, but um. And really, you really answered my question through um, Marie. I think it was Maria that said, how do you trust God, have find God? But my extension to that is, how do I trust God or find my God when that has happened, that tragedy has happened to me? Mm -hmm. 
and things just keep happening. And I know I'm powerless. So you really did answer that part. But if you want to add anything, I would love to hear you. Um, but I'd love to talk to you offline. Thank you. I mean, I'm in a situation right now with my mother that took ill, and I just cannot believe what happened to her. So I'm just like so powerless. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Mindy. And I'm so sorry for your loss too. And um, it's a hard place to be, you know. And and again, mentioning that little prayer, God, I'm yours, and I trust you. You know, it seems so. Um, minute compared to the bigness of of the tragedies that you're going through um but i know it it's helped me a lot when if i just keep saying it and saying it and um and and those deep breathing exercises help me as well especially when it's the emotion gets really intense just of breathing in faith and breathing breathing out fear or breathing in god and breathe, breathing mm-hmm. out self um that's always that's always helped me too um and I know sometimes, you know, um, I mentioned that poem, but just to think about how um, that God is carrying you through this. And I always think, you know, he's crying and sad right with you and wishes things could be different. But, um, um, but I hope that there's some comfort in knowing that his loving arms are surrounding you, even when they don't, you may not feel it. And that, through him and reaching out to others. And I would love to speak with you um, one-on-one too, Mindy, you know, that, that hopefully there's some comfort there as well for you. So um, please, please do reach out. And I'll give my number again, I know, at the end. Thank you. Thank you, Mindy R., for your question. Darnisa R., your turn. Star one to unmute. Hi. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Donisa R. from Brooklyn. Um, I kind of came in late, but I did hear some stuff that I really needed to hear. So my question is this. I um, I suffer from chronic pain, chronic illness. I don't have any abstinence yet. I did my... Somebody's unmuted. I did my food shopping yesterday, but my issue is because of the pain, it's very hard for me to commit to um, cooking. And I can't cook any complicated stuff. Everything has to be pretty much um, very simple. Like I tried to make breakfast this morning and I burnt myself by, you know, the water from the pot spilled on me. So stuff like that can happen. I use my walker because I can't stand up at the stove and stuff like that. How do I stay motivated and not give up? That's it. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Darnisa. Thanks. Thanks so much for that question. You know, that certainly makes it a lot harder, I'm sure. Um, um, and and uh, I have I unfortunately have no experience because I do not suffer from chronic pain, although I hate to cook, but that by no way compares. Um, um, you know what, do you, do you have a sponsor? Well, I'm muted again. Um, I just, yeah. yes, I do have a sponsor. I asked somebody to be my sponsor, and uh, uh, hopefully tomorrow we'll start. I had to go shopping and okay. everything. 
Okay. The other thing I might suggest, Arnisa, is um, at the end of the Monday through Friday meetings, at the end of, I know the second hour of the early meeting, I, I'm not sure about the 10 o'clock meeting, you can put your name out for outreach, and you might want to ask if there's other fellows that suffer from chronic pain and um, how they use program to help them deal with it. Because unfortunately, I really don't have any experience there, so I hate to share something that I just don't have. Um, so, um, but I hope you can find the help that you need. And like I said, um, that would be a great place for you to get outreach around it. Thank you. That's Hopefully a, that will help. That's a great suggestion. I didn't even think about putting it out like that, so I definitely will. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you, Darnisa R. Margaret D., star one to unmute. Mark, Margaret D, star one to unmute. All right, perhaps she had to step away. Janelle P, you'll be our final question for this morning. Janelle P. Hello, this is Janelle. Hi, sorry. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Janelle, Hi. with your question. Hi, Sandy. Thank you so very much for your share. You're so articulate and eloquent when you speak. Um, it's It's magnetic. My question is as follows. So, I believe, and I honestly believe that for the very first time, I'm actually taking the steps to become abstinent, and I'm feeling the sadness and pain that goes with not being able to have the food that I would like to have when I go to parties or at home, et cetera, and and it's actually, you know, it's become sort of uh, depressing. And my sponsor is amazing. She She's with me step by step, you know, and um, she told me we can find variety in the food plan, et cetera. But I'm wondering how normal is this? And, and her words keep ringing in, in my head. This will get better. It will get better. But I realize now that, and I'm also in AA, but... You know, I've stopped drinking, thank God. Um, how normal is this to feel that sort of depression or, or looming sadness, you know, when you go out and you just can't eat? Oh, thanks, Janelle. Thank you for that question. Um, yeah, it really kind of sucks, doesn't it? No, I still <laughs> remember that feeling. And it is a loss, really. When you think of it, it's 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 a loss that you're suffering. And I think... Um, the most encouragement I can give you is that you'll you'll begin to appreciate the things that you were missing because of the food. Like, um, you know, I see it now in the holiday celebrations or when we're out with friends. I'm so much I'm, I'm able to focus on them instead, on the people instead, the, the things that give me real um, real joy and fulfillment, not the 30 second high that I might have gotten from eat, eating that treat, whatever it was. But instead now, you know, having a real connection with other people and um, being able to join, to enjoy whatever the fun activities may be that we're part of. 
Um, but, uh, you know, granted, that takes a while. I'm so glad that you're, you know, beginning your abstinence and hopefully going to start into the steps because that's part of the process. Or at least that's been one of the benefits for me of doing the steps. You know, but initially, you know, as I mentioned with someone else, it takes some white knuckling. But I know I've seen in myself, you know, the difference between initially in my abstinence, you know, if we'd be out, I would, and somebody else would order dessert, my heart would like sink, like, oh, no, I'm going to have to watch somebody else eat dessert that I'm not going to be able to have. And now if other people order dessert, it just doesn't matter. You know, I, I, a lot of times I almost, I take pleasure in seeing them enjoy something that's enjoyable to, to them, that's not poison to them the way it is to me. Um, but again, that takes time. So right now you're in kind of a grieving process for, for what you've lost. But, you know, I hope if nothing else, I can, I'm giving you some hope and encouragement that, yes, it will get better and there will come a time when it, it won't matter and you'll just be so much, you'll appreciate what you've gained from it. And that will be in, at least for me, that's been in relationships and activities that I can more fully enjoy doing. And, um, and, and of course, in a connection to God who, um, 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 through having him with me, puts, puts everything else to shame. Um, um, so I hope that helps, Janelle. God bless very, you. Very, very much so. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Janelle. I'll just give one shout-out again to Margaret D., star one to unmute. This is Margaret. May I be heard? Yes, Margaret. Go ahead with well, your question. Thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for your share. I got quite a bit out of it. And I wish, or I wonder if you could just comment on bringing joy into your life. Um, I'm in a position where I'll probably be retired in a couple of years, and I've had a certain amount of fear that um, about the unknown, and I'm sure we all have it. But anyways, if you could comment on that, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, yes, yeah, sure. Thank you, Margaret. Um, yeah, I agree with you. The unknown is scary, you know, um, and it took a lot of experience experimenting and trying things that didn't work out. You know, I think I mentioned I tried, you know, this coaching, you know, tennis coaching, thinking that was going to bring me a new joy now that I had time to, to spare and, um, and I wasn't raising my sons and it just didn't work out. And then when I thought about, you know, what did bring me joy and it took a process because, because as a people pleaser for a long time, I didn't, you know, I kind of lost um, the ability to know what really made me happy. So it was a process to figure that out. But now, as I, as I mentioned, in so much of my um, um, volunteer work, I'm able to tailor it around things that, that make me, you know, that bring me joy. And, and there's something just, you know, um, just like with working with sponsees, you know, there's something so fulfilling at, 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 um, at that, that, um, um, that it, it brings me a lot of fulfillment and joy, too. But I know what you mean about that um, fear of the unknown. You know, for me right now, it's my husband's going to be retiring. Once again, on April Fool's Day, I don't know why that day seems to have significance in our lives, except maybe it means God has a sense of humor, too. But he's going to be retiring. So, you know, this man who, for the 30 years we've been married, always worked long hours and traveled, all of a sudden is going to be underfoot, you know, 24-7. And that brings out some, some fear for me. So I, um, 
um, so you and I may be able to commiserate when, when we both get to that point and talk about how, what God is unveiling for us then because I know God's timing is perfect and um, that, that um, the right opportunities for both of us will come up if we just stay connected to him and just keep um, you know, praying for you know, his will, you know, for him to indicate what his will is for us. And, um, and like I said, sometimes... Uh, that comes to me through others. You know, it's, it was, um, I'm trying to think of the, the two places that I volunteer. Um, you know, the baby cuddling, which I absolutely love. One of my sons actually sent me something on Facebook about a hospital that offered that, saying, Mom, maybe you should take a look at this. And, uh, you know, when I called around and was able to find a spot, it's really just su- such a, it, it's such an enjoyable way to spend a morning. And, um um, so asking around to other fellows, may, you know, who have been through similar things may give you some, some more ideas as well. So I hope that helps, Margaret. I'd love to talk more about it, yeah, one-on-one too. Yes, it, it absolutely does. Thank you so much, and um, thank you. Thank you, Margaret. Thanks to everybody who asked questions this morning. And, of course, thank you, Sandy W., for your beautiful story of a rehabilitated and renewed life. Thank you very much for that inspiring message of recovery this morning. We're going to close from page 164. You'll find it in the chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge a road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.